Eiffel 65, an Italian band. How many people know that? Didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So think? they're speaking Italian during the song. That's why people can't understand. Yeah, that's what Italian. I'm Lou. That's Italian, yes. I'm Welcome to your corner, Spazy, with me, Kieran, and also Rob's here. Hey, guys. Nick and Yulia fucked off somewhere, and now it's just us boys, and since there's no Yulia here, it's going to be a fucking doghouse. Woof, 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 woof. Ruff, ruff. <laughs> We've effectively silenced all the women. Hooray. Uh, we want to thank everyone for the feedback so far. Uh, it's been really great to hear people... Like the show, uh, we're taking all of your feedback um, into consideration. Uh, we will be cutting uh, Nick's mic all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We've already cut about uh, 50 minutes of uh, content that he that he gave, but yeah, we understand we have to cut it further. Nick's actually uh, here today. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, um, I hope uh, just share it with people. Um, you can leave us a review on iTunes. I don't know if we have any reviews yet, but that would be cool if you like the show. And yeah, we'll just keep giving you this uh, this this good content. I would say here in Germany, the podcasting isn't quite as popular, and so people keep asking us for uh, for tips, like how we started a podcast, you know. And I just wanna I wanna I wanna give my tips for starting podcasts to everybody. Um, th- there's three big ones, just right. based on personal experience. First, like immediately after you start the podcast, just make sure. None of you are in the same place for like a month, month and a half. That should be enough time. It really keeps you on your toes. Like if you're like not allowed to build any momentum, Mm -hmm. you're just you just spread. You're in completely different uh, nine hour apart time zones. It really like you know distance makes the heart grow fonder and all that. Um, (laughs) I'm skyping in from Omsk, (laughs) the ballet capital of Russia. (laughs) Uh, My second tip for podcasting is to just always record twice, maybe three times. Mm. Doesn't matter. Just You know, your first try, it's not going to be good. You should just, you know, spend the whole day recording yourself, repeating the same things over and over again, slowly driving yourself crazy. This is our, our sixth recording already. Yeah, you know? it's pretty good. Pretty good <laughs> so far. Pro- this, this is going to be the one. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. I don't know. I'm going to delete this file. <laughs> uh, and the last most important tip is that, you know, the first episode's got to start out strong. First, maybe first two episodes, lots of lots of research, lots of content, you know, build up some trust with mm. your listeners. Next episode, no research at all. You yeah, gotta, you just just got to be fresh, you know. And that's and that th- those are the keys. <laughs> that that may that may be a slight underhanded comment about this episode. <laughs> You'll have to just keep listening to find out. <laughs> Follow these, uh, you know, um, so many, so many articles, so many references in the last one. I think we brought up Caliban the Witch in the last one, and now uh, we guarantee there will be no books mentioned this oh. episode. <laughs> follow, follow my three simple rules, you know, buy my book. Um, <laughs> I do not read. Buy my book, the uh, the podcasting guru. I interview is Scott Adams. The... <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, loud, louder with Stephen Crowder <laughs> the rational psychologist and you know all these people about how, how to make good what was that? what was that fucking podcast again like the angry dads or like <laughs> dad warriors Kieran, you're, you are giving away uh, very special content that we it's it's we cannot reveal it to the world yet yeah we're now just a, like a men's right activist reaction podcast this is great don't worry we, we will go into the angry dads podcast yeah I firmly believe we should have less rights <laughs> 
I have gotten away with too much. Uh, uh, so, uh, so we're just gonna be talking about the news. What's uh, what's what's new this week, Kieran? Uh, about twenty minutes ago, someone opened fire in like a Czech hospital. But uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's not good. I didn't. Know <laughs> I that. Yeah, there's not much about it at the moment. Let's talk about some other bullshit, like Joe Rogan. <laughs> I did want to say. Uh, I think I saw this last week. Um, very, very excited for my my. M- you know, my home away from home, my hometown within Germany, Hamburg, mm. they are getting, I, I, I don't know if people know, but Hamburg is a little bit like the Broadway of Germany. You know, it's a, it's a high class city. Um, it's very cultured. Mm. They have... Um, they the, invented the hamburger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have um, a lot of musicals in Hamburg. They have The Lion King, Aladdin. Uh, I can't even remember the other ones they have. But like when you're in the city and like at the distinctly port, not you see, on the roof. you see across, yeah. <laughs> oh, Germany! When you're in the like the port area of Hamburg and you look across the river, there's just like a special theater just for the Lion King. Like there's a giant Lion King banner, hmm. and like there's a ferry that will take you over there. And so like Hamburg's like a like a substantial part of Hamburg's tourism economy is to get Germans. To come to Hamburg, you know, spend a night on the town, and then they go take their little ferry and see Aladdin and then come back. Like, this is the... I I need to explain all this background because Hamburg is stepping up their game. Mm. They're entering the 21st century and Hamilton is coming to Hamburg. More like Hamiltonburg, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> like, this podcast, I often think we're just, we're just sh- shooting the shit probably doesn't matter hopefully we say some interesting things but after learning that hamburg is <laughs> hamilton is coming to hamburg nothing convinces me more that this podcast is essential <laughs> that germany and europe is slowly being infected by the american madness and i'm coming i'm like a visitor from the future who came back and is warning of what's to come <laughs> <laughs> I'm delightfully ignorant of all German culture. This is brilliant. Kieran cannot wait. He's going on the opening night to Hamilton. He's like, damn, they're like rapping, but they're the founding fathers. Oh, this God. This is so cool. This is so cool, guys. What What if all these slave owners danced? Kieran is making the, uh, the, the German version of the soy face, the halloumi face. <laughs> I actually really love Halloumi. This is this is a personal attack. Shout out Halloumi, best king of Jesus. I can imagine some uh, German right wingers coming up with Halloumi boys. I don't know about falafel. I think I think they'd go with Halloumi. Mm, falafel is too popular. Like coming soon. Kamuze uh, kebab. A... <laughs> uh, anyway, I I feel like I might need to go to um, Hamburg. I think that uh, Cornish Beatty is going to have to pay for me to get a ticket mm. so I can do a little field research. From all that money coming in. Because <laughs> I, I just can't, this is going to, I just can't wait to see all of the like old German couples who came to Hamburg for a little taste of culture and they just go see Hamilton and they're just, I don't know, really, really pissed off about the rap or something like that. <laughs> I'm curious, like... So these are the American like current cast coming over, right? They're not getting like German people to I don't I have no idea who the cast is going to be. It's right. some company I should uh, I, I should look up the name of the company because actually this is an important point. So I don't I don't know if people know, but in Hamburg there's this famous squat called the Rotaflora. Um it's there's another newer squat called Gengafeto, but that's the old one. It's been around yeah, since, yeah. since since the eighties. 
A bunch of cool people taking over a building. And it's like, it's it's the perfect like tying together of this story because the Rotaflora, um, this big building in the Shanza neighborhood, it was originally a theater and then it was a department store for a while. And then sometime in the 80s, they were going to turn it back into a theater for this new musical push, like to make Hamburg the like cheesy Broadway of Germany to you know, bring culture to this like dark land. And there were a bunch of protests and people were squatting the building. And then finally, the squatters won. Mm. I mean, it's I'm oversimplifying it because there have been a bunch of fights since then. But the squad, it's it, it started being squatted in the 80s and it's basically been continuous since then. And they had to build some new theater around the corner down the street. But I'm just imagining this alternate timeline where Rotaflora isn't a symbol of like this of a squat. And it's just having Hamilton in the middle of this like completely gentrifying neighborhood that like uh, like the rents are like going up rapidly. Like all of the all of the like the Turkish community that lives there, like all of the like racist elementary schools, like don't give any of them passes to go to gymnasium. This is actually what happens in the Shanza. And like then, you know, you can just go see Hamilton at your lovely uh, Flora Theater. <laughs> Those are the bones great. of a it's bunch great, of folks. dead folks. We love it. We love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like if Rotaflora doesn't get on that in terms of like a campaign of just like, why the fuck are you going to see a musical about a bunch of slave owners? <laughs> um, I've been workshopping. I haven't figured it out yet, but I have been workshopping what the German version of Hamilton would be. I think I think I've got it because they can't Weimar. Be, they can't do the Nazis. <laughs> it, it could be Weimar. Yeah. Actually, you're right. It probably is Weimar. I was thinking Weimar. it would be the dude who tried to kill Hitler, who was also a Nazi, the general. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 okay. yeah. But they would make him Jewish. Or like I don't know, you, <laughs> and then that's and just then, the musical <laughs> version of uh, Incredible Bastards or Glorious Bastards. Yeah, <laughs> but actually, now, now that I say it out loud, that might be too cool for for Hamilton. And Glorious yeah. Bastards uh, is better is better than Hamilton. <laughs> okay, um, moving on to <laughs> moving on to our next topic is that uh, just to date this podcast a little bit, but. Everyone was like really hyped over the fact that Alex Jones was on Joe Rogan. Um, I really enjoyed it. it fresh was, content. Fresh content. Cannot. I'm so excited when Joe Rogan drops that new content. That um, new fire. <laughs> Spits that truth. I just, Joe Rogan, he's just, I just can't stop listening to him. He is the real rapper. Um, it really <laughs> We're does. We're going to get to that. <laughs> yeah. It really does feel like the whole watching it really felt like a constantly shifting before and after picture of someone who'd gone through like a chemo platform or something. Because, um, yeah, it it was. I don't know why. Wait, I don't. Who's the before after? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, you know, one of those like, uh, if you eat this like calcy powder and go to the gym twice a week, you could look like. We could turn Alex Jones into, into Joe into Rogan. Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> also at the same time Joe Rogan is going to look like Alex Jones once he like finally bombs and doesn't yeah. have a career anymore cause god fucking de- like Joe Rogan is like the worst comedian I <laughs> fucking hate him the whole reason he started this podcast does is he be- claim to be a comedian he started as a comedian that's true he does have stand-ups that suck yeah. I thought he was the just the like um, MMA guy no like he, he started as a stand-up and the reason he started the podcast was because he was such an insufferable jackass no one in hollywood or like the la stand-up scene wanted to work with him yeah uh so he was like i'm going off and make my own <laughs> if you're too shit. big of a jack- jackass to to uh to be to not be accepted in a stand-up scene uh <laughs> that's yeah, that's pretty bad right. 
I say this with all my love and my heart for stand-up, the the world's premier dying art form. Um, yeah, also like the LA stand-up scene. I've heard things about LA. That's probably a very insufferable stand-up scene. But yeah, at the same fucking time, um, I liked how everyone was obsessing over this because it's Alex Jones. Alex Jones is hilarious, but like the most insidious stuff the Joe Rogan experience does is when they don't have people like Alex Jones on. Because mm. Alex Jones is, is like comedic in mm. his just like ridiculous conspiratorial um, fire brimstone. You were saying before we were recording that he's very, very comparable to like these end of days preachers. Yeah, I mean, this is there's a long tradition of this in, in the US, especially like whether it's I think Jonathan Edwards is his name or the like burned over district in New York, like with the rise of Mormonism and all right, these right. uh, uh, Seventh Day Adventists and religions like that. Like, there's a long history of just saying like the end times are very, very near, and they had a certain theatricality that I mean, they were they're quite popular. And Alex Jones has that same theatricality. It's I mean, it's a fundamentally more that language of of religion just doesn't. I mean, Alex Jones does talk about God and like mm. talks about I don't know. He talks about demons. Yeah, exactly. He talks yeah. about demons a lot, but it's in a very, I mean, it's its just updated to the modern U.S. culture. I mean, it's much more secular. It's much more conspiratorial. There's something, I mean, we maybe we can get into how just the rise of conspiracy and like how conspiracies is like a new language in the U.S., especially since, since World War II, I don't know, in like a growing U.S. state and a growing like U.S. intervention abroad. Um that like all of these like backroom deals, like the only way to like comprehend um, the significance of that or the power of that and rationalize that against like your helplessness or your or your uh, yeah. perceived helplessness and like actually changing anything about history of the government are these wild conspiracy theories about what about how the world is run. So it's it's kind of interesting you say post World War Two because it kind of sounds like when America when the New World. I hate to say new world order when talking about like conspiratorial <laughs> thinking but when like the, the current state of affairs came in after world war ii and america was supposedly on top of the world then yeah i think a lot of people who don't feel like they're on top of the world within america have to turn to conspiratorial thinking to explain it yeah um the same time though i i think it's very true like he's a lot of people he reminds me of and possibly when he got started a lot of these people talked about like religiosity and conspiracy th thinking and demons and stuff, but in the realm of culture rather than politics, I feel, I feel like a lot of people who talked like him were talking about like what was on the latest movies and kids nipple rings are too exposed or some <laughs> shit um, where he's gone like full, um, they're putting shit in the water, um, which that, that used to be like, and chemtrails that used to have like a fine tradition of left-wing conspiratorial well thinking. i gotta say i think it's germany and norway were like the only two countries that don't have fluoride in the water or the only two like western countries really i am pretty sure germany does not have fluoride in the water Fuck no. shout out the, the the strong german defenders i have to go to the dentist now or some shit you will not turn the frogs gay in germany <laughs> alex jones we hear you. <laughs> Alex Jones, come to Germany. Do you think he's Alex Jones here? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. Alex Jonas. <laughs> Alex Jones. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, like this is all funny and stuff because like Alex Jones is just a hilarious character. Yeah, and he 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 knows he's playing a character. I mean, yeah. I don't know it off the top of my head, but you can find his paper trail online. He wasn't always like this. He, yeah. he, ad he adopted the persona more and more when he realized it was getting 
getting traction. views, getting yeah. traction. Yeah. But like, also, there's the thing about like his very public divorce. Mm. The thing she said sounds like he kind of became the character a little oh, bit yeah, as I'm well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, more recently, the but the thing about it was funny because like he's he's rattling away a mile a minute, and Joe Rogan's not actually able to keep <laughs> up with him. Because um, like Joe Rogan's entire podcast is like play the clip of the the donkey that we put D- like we put on dmt and like if you put Yo, a donkey Jamie, can can you play that clip of the frogs turning gay <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's every like we gave dmt to a donkey and now discovered libertarianism or some shit um but like yeah he's not able to keep up with it he's 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 not pushing back because that's not what joe rogan does joe rogan never pushes back um the only like i think i've heard the best description of the appeal of joe rogan's podcast which is the idea of Joe Rogan's podcast is you put an expert in a room with someone who clearly isn't. Mm. And they do that sometimes where they have like some sort of astrobiologist yeah. or in the room, someone like from NASA talking yeah. to him about like, and then he'll mention something stupid about like, but octopuses could be from space. Yeah. And like that's, I can understand the appeal of that if it wasn't like three fucking hours long. Um, well, I I think that is like, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too optimistic because mm. I'm just thinking of my friends who listen to Joe Rogan. I think that what they like about it is the idea like, yeah, they talk about some crazy science shit, man. Like they just smoke yeah. weed and think about like, man, it's fucking crazy. And that in itself is pretty harmless. And in fact, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you should, it whatever yeah. like makes people have some more perspective of the world and like in the universe, you know, that's, that's cool. But there's, there's like little things. I've if heard only people, it were just that. <laughs> if it were just that, yeah, yeah. If it were just that, then maybe Kieran would be talking about the like whole AM, FM distinction of like actual machines versus fucking magic. Mm-hmm. Where like you have Elon Musk talking about the Hyperloop and it's like, where's the Hyperloop? It's like Hyperloop makes no fucking sense. Build trains. Build tra- trains exist. <laughs> the, the Hyperloop is the greatest expectation versus reality thing. Because like <laughs> the reality is the Hyperloop is just like a shitty subway in Chicago. Like because something about it's being piloted in Chicago. Yeah. and it's just like a special subway to go from o'hare airport to downtown and you're like stuck in it in a cab underground and you go like just as fast as you would mm. in like from the subway the actual blue line yeah uh, which isn't that great <laughs> um, it just makes no fucking sense uh, I, I should clarify subway is yeah. very good uh, uh train service very good it's just um yeah more (laughs) yeah we need more of it and it definitely needs to be repaired (laughs) um so yeah so that's the reality and then you have these like chicago speaking of like neoliberal bootlickers like the people the uh the chicago machine now the version of that like especially under rama manual is just like yeah we love this we love the hyperloop don't we we're just sitting in it you know that blue line this is just this is the future man so that's all joe rogan was that would be the problem is like a very civic engineering problem. <laughs> but like, unfortunately, a lot of the guests that Joe Rogan has had on in the past are people like fucking Gavin McGinnis, mm. the guy who started a militia in the United States and tried to recreate the assassination of the mm. communist leader of Japan by <laughs> bootstepping down a New York street holding a katana. Um, normal dudes like that. Um, and then more recently, one of the most recent episodes that I had the unfortunate duty i don't know i watched it i hate watched it today is that i've seen all uh 1250 episodes all three hours each of the joe rogan experience i watched him my brain has turned you watched me watch it which is possibly the only thing slightly better than actually watching it uh kieran was uh twitch streaming himself watching the joe rogan experience i watched the twitch stream (laughs) 
I was I was donating. That might actually be somewhat <laughs> profitable. Um, but the most recent episode, or one of the most recent episodes, he has the CEO of Twitter on Jack, whatever his name is. Uh, He's just Jack. Jack Twitter. He he shed the last name for like not being I don't know like efficient enough. Not enough character. Like. Jack Dorsey, I just remembered. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he had on um, this woman from the Twitter company who's like their policy expert and policy spokeswoman. Uh, Sorry, you just said the Twitter company like you were 80 years old. Like like the Google. From the Googles. <laughs> the, go- the Twitter company. <laughs> the buried company. Um, and... But Joe Rogan, to bring on his journalistic expert, brought on Tim Poole, mm-hmm. who is most famous on the left for being photographed with a bunch of neo-nazis and trying to hide in his own beanie at the same time because he's like i should be photographed with these people tim pool is like the ultimate fucking um concern trolling leftist he tried to like he equated intersectional on this podcast equated intersectional feminism with like hate speech against trans people being like you're banning all these conservatives for not using the right pronouns and doing this coded language that was his whole shtick and then it's like but then there's like this um (laughs) there's this whole fucking feminism thing happening on the internet and he used intersectional feminism and the woman from twitter is like i'm not sure what these terms mean can you explain it and he just fucking falls apart it's beautiful he thinks that intersectional feminism um he actually describes he describes what intersectional fem like the problem that intersectional feminists have with historical feminism. He was like, intersectional feminists don't care about poor people. They don't care. They only talk about people in terms of race. Um, Not realizing the whole reason that intersectional feminism exists is because the history of feminism kind of ignored race and class uh, a little bit. And... Uh, it was painful. Why did I watch that? And then I scrolled down and I looked at the YouTube comments because it's all on YouTube, the best place for discourse. <laughs> so I've been thinking about why Joe Rogan is popular. And hmm. I think there's some aspect of this like... So, I mean, I guess people call him like an everyman personality kind of thing. Kind of what you were saying in that they put him in a room with an expert and he kind of reacts as the audience would react. Like maybe say dumb things, but tries to be funny in that way. He genuinely has somewhat of an acquisitive nature. Yeah. And I I would, and I think that the best like comparison that I can think of for him is like Drake. Like he's the Drake of podcasting. (laughs) All right, go on. I mean, every invocation. Thesis, thesis statement. (laughs) Well, first of all, I would say they're probably roughly as popular as each other in their respective fields. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Drake is, maybe he's not the most popular rapper anymore. He's going down. So maybe Joe Rogan's still on the way up. But like insofar as Mark Maron is, I don't know what, like Jay-Z or something. Do you think after Drake shows, people approach him like, you're the Joe Rogan of rapping. I honestly, Drake would probably, Drake would probably be like, that's so true. I've always respected him. And <laughs> never touch me. I'm going away. But like, what's, what's so similar about them is that they, on the, so two things. The mm. first is that they have this like, just completely like i don't know if it's a sign of like insecurity or something but they just absorb like whatever the guest is i mean this is well known among uh like rap fans they'll know that drake is just like constantly like changing his style and like he'll go to like houston and be like 
Houston feels like home. Finally, I feel like I have a home. And then he'll like rap in like the Houston style. And then he'll go to Atlanta and be like, you know, finally, like people understand me in Atlanta, you know, <laughs> in the same way that Joe Rogan has on like, you know, some all right guy. And then Joe Rogan all of a sudden feels passionately about the plight of white farmers in South Africa. <laughs> like it's the same dynamic of just this like this completely blinkered like, oh, like what the only thing that's real is what is it like directly in front of my face. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. I think that comes from a place of like, just like searching for something to grab onto but like it's the same i mean the the dynamic among drake is that you get like you know at least he puts on people like migos and um like like he gives them a national bump yeah uh the thing about joe rogan is that then he just becomes a gateway to the all right so yeah that's uh... not quite the same dynamic but i think that is also whatever that that insecurity or like latching on to something the the flip side of that is that it kind of makes them into a sympathetic everyman in the sense that Drake is like, everyman. <laughs> well, like he sings, but he's not, like as a singer, especially with all the auto tune, he sings in such a way that you can you don't feel bad about singing along. So yeah. I'm getting deep into my music takes right now. Go for it. No Nick, like no parents. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm here wearing. Our mom and dad, Nick and Yulia, are not here. So. <laughs> I'm wearing boots and a black and red flannel shirt to indicate to the world I'm definitely from a rap background myself. <laughs> not punk or hardcore, but go on. <laughs> like. So Drake, I think he sings in a way that like makes people like they don't feel bad about singing along because it's not so I mean, it's melodic, but in, a, in an accessible way. Like mm. he's not like a show stopping singer. That's like you just admire. Yeah. It's like sings in a way that you can sing. Yeah. And Joe Rogan is kind of like that for podcasting. He podcasts in a way that you could podcast. Like you're just <laughs> sitting in the room smoking weed being like, that's crazy, man. Like uh, it's, it's accessible. And who's this? Well, the Koch brothers. <laughs> well, let's get him in here for some questions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so. like I can sing like Drake. Has <laughs> uh, anyone got that uh, uh, hotline bling? <laughs> <laughs> all right um but yeah joe um, rogan gateway to the alt-right woo uh, as opposed to us <laughs> yeah we'll bring you on to that blood and soil gotcha. yeah so kieran and i were joking that whenever we don't know like what to talk about we'll just like uh uh do the it was jay leno right or like you, like what's in like you see what's on the news yeah, 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 like you see what's in the news it's, like, it's a hack stand up yeah, yeah. thing you, like you know what's in the news lately but our version the berlin version is just to walk around and read the trash cans and mill ima and just yeah. whatever like like left wing or alternative stickers people are on there just to see what's going on i get, like, I get all my hottest takes yeah. from like <laughs> bins and the bathrooms of good clubs <laughs> yeah like like you hear about this you hear about uh, we got to defend afreen yeah. You hear about Rojava? Hey, hear about, uh, you hear about Rasmus Gagan? <laughs> Jung and Gagan Rasmus? <laughs> why, why did I think this was a, this was a segue? <laughs> I don't know, it's great. I also anyway. don't understand why to do my Jay Leno voice. I have to like, no one can see this, but I have to wave my hand around as if I have a cigar in it. <laughs> you hear about this? <laughs> so uh, I don't know if people have heard uh, over here. Actually, some people have about... Um, What's going on in the U.S.? There's mm. Ilhan Omar, um, AOC, Venezuela, the Israel, and APAC. There's kind of, they're all kind of vague anti-Semitism. It's kind of, we're here to break it down for you. All the different, <laughs> t- touch on different aspects of this. Because um, I, I do hear people talking about it yesterday. I was... Uh, um, I, I was in the po- bathroom. <laughs> I was in the bathroom. <laughs> Basically, I was at I was at a, a demo yesterday for Frauenkampftag, International oh, yeah, Women's yeah, yeah. Day, and someone did mention um, the 
um, you know, using this label of anti-Semitism to, de- mm. to divide people and like disguise Islamophobia. Rob was there um, because Rob is an ally. I wasn't I, there because <laughs> I am an enemy. <laughs> it's me versus all women. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, just just to break it down for people who just to give like a quick history um, mm. that I think um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, maybe is definitely the most famous of this new crop of the new um, Democratic representatives in Congress mm-hmm. and House of Representatives. Um, she was, she's a, was a somewhat of a DSA member, you know, Democratic Socialists of America, pretty um, prominent uh, growing group on mm. the socialist left in the U.S. Um, she was a member of them and she had a big upset to win the Democratic primary in her district of New York City, the Bronx and, and Queens. And so after that, she was just basically plastered on CNN and everywhere. Mm. Um, uh, and she got, I can say, a lot more publicity than I ever thought she would get. I AOC. Mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because I remember seeing her at the beginning as just like, oh, okay, it seems like she's uh, anti-capitalist. That's good. We'll see if she's actually like that. Time will tell. But, you know, she was she was saying the right things um, yeah. at also- the beginning. All how her campaign was run as well. Like she came yeah. from yeah, yeah, like yeah. a working background, like as a bartender. She yeah. got all her stuff via small donations. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's one um, just a huge problem. I mean, there's a million things wrong with elections in the U.S. Forget just the problems. I mean, mm. the problems with elections are that yeah. I mean, uh, campaign finances yeah. might, might be the biggest one. But I think it's kind of easy to ignore left wing voices like a left-wing campaign like, mm. i could see a world where people just ignore aoc and don't give her media attention um i guess to even think that is probably like because like she could be i don't know dennis kucinich it's like dennis kucinich like just ignore them like they yeah. don't matter you know but she did strike a nerve um i don't know whether that's because she has a different approach or just a changing media landscape or a changing political landscape but she's clearly a figure like yeah. the Republicans talk about her constantly, talk about socialism constantly. Half of that is thirst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of that That's is the thirst. difference. Dennis Kucinich just was not was not uh, up to the task. No. <laughs> I hate to reduce AOC to that, but a lot of people talking about her are just like... Sorry. I, I was just I, he's a lot bad looking, this Dennis Kucinich lad. <laughs> Shout out Dennis Kucinich. I wouldn't. When I was like I mean, 12, I when I was like 12 and saw all the Dennis Kucinich bumper stickers on my grandparents' cars, I thought he was like, oh yeah, he's he's really popular. How did, how did it make you feel to realize that your grandparents were so goddamn thirsty for this <laughs> for this Dennis? <laughs> Dennis the menace in the bedroom. <laughs> I mean no sense. <laughs> But uh, Dennis uh, Kucinich's new thing, or I don't even even know if it's that new, but he said he was abducted by aliens. Okay. We can't get it. Dennis Kucinich, go on Joe Rogan. Talk about your alien experience. Yeah, that that (laughs) seems very on Joe Rogan's brand, actually. (laughs) Anyway, okay. We're going to have to cut this. We're going all over the the place. (laughs) You know who am I? The one criticism we got was that we uh, don't stick to the topic. (laughs) And and here we go. Back on our (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) Okay. So... AOC was uh, kind of, yeah, one of the most important Congress uh, people in this new crop. But there are others, too. Mm. Uh, this group, Justice Democrats, did some of the work and their whole thing. I mean, they have a vaguely... Um, they use the label progressive, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they definitely than... use the label progressive, but they have some stances that are good, like not taking um, any corporate donations. They want to 
primary Democrats, that is, like challenge Democrats uh, in and try to take over their seats rather than challenging Republicans. And Medi- Medicare seats. for all is also one of their things, is this or am I? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Um, like, I mean, they're definitely not the ultimate goal, but if we're being like a bit more, um, if we're being a bit more like utilitarian, it's like, Kieran, we won't get socialism if like the entire Congress is justice Democrats. I'm like, yes, we won't. <laughs> well, that would be better than the current state of affairs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I want to get into that, but the the point of bringing them up is that there was a kind of a crop and again with the whole media um uh firestorm about this they're on magazine covers and everything a lot mm. of it's framed around like it's younger women in congress which is good uh, <laughs> there was one rolling stones cover where it was like the four justice democrat women uh, with nancy pelosi yeah they're like oh <laughs> uh, nancy doesn't like one is not like the others here <laughs> yeah but um so one other, um, well, two people in this in this crop um, that are worth mentioning are um, Rashida Tlaib. Mm-hmm. She's a Palestinian American. I think she represents Michigan, and mm. also Ilhan Omar. Uh, she represents um, a district in Minnesota, um, and both of them have come out in support of BDS, yep. which is boycott, basically like the and sanctions. Yeah, just to explain it's boycott, divestment, sanctions um, against Israel, and this is. Um, been called for by Palestinian groups um, as a, a protest. I mean, what, whatever you want to call it, non-violent, peaceful protest hasn't been effective, and they yeah. there's been calls for an economic uh, boycott. Um, it's been modeled after how apartheid South Africa right. was treated. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so this is a I wouldn't call it a big thing in the U.S., but it's a maybe a, a bigger topic in the U.S. than in Europe because the U.S. is does ally so closely with Israel. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. so it's more, it's, it's interesting you say that because I always felt like BDS was more prominent in Europe, but that also could be that I come from Ireland, which is a very anti-Israel country. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're just like, we're not doing colonialism in Ireland. It was like, this looks a lot like colonialism. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think it's also worth contrasting the reaction, uh, they got, especially Ilhan Omar, um, with, the reaction that uh, AOC got, um, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm. So basically, Ilhan Omar's comments. The first was she was just tweeting that um, you know, like um, APAC is yeah, like uh, well, it was vague because she she had some tweet like it's all about the Benjamins when people were saying that um, talking about um, campaign finance and mm. who donates to Congress people and and then she and then people are saying like what do you, are you saying that the way Ilhan Omar comes into this picture is that she has been criticized, I would say, very intensely um, over the past month hmm. for just true statements she's made about how um, APAC, they are um, a lobbying group on, on behalf of Israel and the Netanyahu government, hmm. just how they operate um, in, in the United States. Yeah. And I, I do think it's worth contrasting i mean just every just everyone calling calling her and her comments anti-semitic engaging in anti-semitic tropes yeah. and just like just over the top i mean even like donald trump tweeting and just everybody from of, of course the, the right but also democrats who are the more like um established democrats, established yeah. you can call them centrists mm. um who are against these more i don't know this like somewhat lefter side of the of the democratic party 
the ones who are afraid of being primaried by the yeah. Justice Democrats. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Democratic but the thing socialists. is, I think it's worth. I mean, Ilhan Omar didn't get so much uh, name recognition at, at the beginning. I mean, compared to AOC, no, Ilhan Omar uh, was getting a lot of this criticism of being anti-Semitic because she was talking about like uh, Israel's relationship with the United States, APAC as a, like a lobbying group to that end, and a lot of it was coming from. Her right, we'll, we'll say that, not necessarily the Americans, what the Americans would consider the right, but like some Republicans were shouting out as well as the established Democrats. And this kind of like a lot of dogpiling on this on Twitter, a lot of people getting very angry over not really, not really anything of substance. Also, a lot of this was, a lot of this was ignorance and that's kind of the way we were portraying it. But a lot of it is also just like bad faith arguments um of people who don't really want to engage with her points that APAC has a lot of control or maybe Israel is not doing some super stellar things within its own borders and without that we should possibly stop supporting as a nation and yeah that kind of resulted in just how long like a week and a bit of nonsense I feel like it's actually been going a lot longer than a week but maybe that's just the nature of it um this, so, yeah. yeah I think it's worth um, pointing out the two big controversies or the two steps that happened. I mean, mm. so Ilhan Omar made her first comments about APEC. It was just a tweet. And yeah. this just blew up. Everyone, whatever, the, the media class, the Democrats, the Republicans, everyone was demanding an apology, saying the Democrats should censure her, like mm. force her to, um, I don't know, I, I'm sure some people were calling for her to resign or whatever over just true statements she made. Um, she apologized and what I thought was a somewhat fine non-apology apology <laughs> so shout out Ilhan Omar yeah but um they sort of like forced her into that and then now three weeks later she made some comments that weren't even that sort of just like vaguely they were less I mean whatever you want to say about like tropes or anything hmm. they were more oblique like to construe them as anti-Semitic at all you have to be acting in very bad faith yes in the second one I mean her comments are something like uh, Israeli lobbyists like are claiming like w- like are asking Congress people to have like a, uh, allegiance to a foreign power and people are like oh these are like um, uh, dual loyalty tropes about Jewish people and it's just, that's just not what she said no, she just literally yeah. used the word allegiance and which and and, and and this and just and then that's the um, what provoked the response from the Democrats this past week where. They wrote up a whole long um, resolution that was yeah. going to denounce her comments, and it was just like uh, my people's brains were exploding. What, like, and it, it it so clearly reflected the fact that the first comments she made kind of opened the door to this. Yeah, and everyone was ready to. I mean, I everyone was saying they were just waiting for their next comment, but they wouldn't even wait for another comment. They would just look took something that was completely uh, unrelated. I mean, completely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just like use that as a, as an excuse to send, uh, censure her or something. The yeah. good news is that uh, they didn't censure her. There was a backlash, and I, and from talking to people who aren't so involved, I, th- I think there was a general mindset amongst like liberals or Democrats, like why are they so focused on this? Like it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, there, there, uh, which there, is which is good. There were some responses like uh, I felt like a lot of people in America, this might just be the bubble I'm in, but a lot of people in America kind of saw through this as somewhat bad faith. And at the same time, um, one thing that certainly helped this point is while this is happening, they're ignoring this like background of 
really really horrible Islamophobia against her as a person. Mm. There was, um, I think it was a poster in Virginia's... Uh, yeah, West Virginia. West Virginia. Oh, that's the good Virginia. It's <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, the better is... Virginia. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are, I have to say. If we're picking Virginias. <laughs> if we're picking Virginias, yes. They have a, they have a, they have a good uh, labor history. Yeah. Um, well, they're literally the whole divide. Problems now. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty poor state, but... The, the divide between them and the other OG Virginia... Is purely civil war, right? West yeah, yeah, Virginia yeah. was yeah, the West one. Virginia did separate. Um, yeah, and shout out the West Virginia teachers unions. Yes, um, but there was that. I think it was the house, like the state equivalent of a House of Representatives. Was that called State Congress? In yeah. that's where the poster was of like um, conflating her uh, a woman who was born to a Somalian refugee right. that she was like she was uh, emblematic of like nine yeah. eleven. Yeah, like yeah. that it, whole poster. It, 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 I, and just to be clear, because I think people um, say it both ways, Ilhan Omar was a refugee herself. I mean, I think she she was born in Somalia, lived there until she was right. ten, okay. and moved to the U.S. And we're jumping around now, but she made comments just a day or two ago about Obama, about how you know he had this like pretty smile, but then he's still drone drone striking the world and locking kids up in yeah. cages at the border. But it wasn't criticized in the same way because he was one of the quote good guys. Yes. And this is just plainly true. I mean, it'll piss a lot of Democrats off, but like finally, like you have a congressperson who's actually saying these things. Mm -hmm. And it's in no small part due to the fact that she came from uh, or that she grew up in a country until she was 10 or so that is actively being bombed and drone strike by the US, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So that was the whole kind of like very interesting contest, like context. I feel like a lot of people kind of saw through that like uh left-wing anti-semitism in the united states is not necessarily a problem especially when very recently in the united states you had like the shooting at the synagogue um where like 11 people were killed and that was very much considered a right-wing attack so yeah i the general impression i'm getting is that this whole thing didn't play and i'm somewhat happy with that yeah it, it didn't play but um I think what is surprising is the fact that she isn't really backing down from her comments, which is good. Mm. I mean, it it signals sort of a new... um, I mean, that's just not how politicians operate, you know? (laughs) The the political instinct, at least what we're told or what's been described is if they... uh, If you see uh, some controversy or you say something that will alienate people, then you have to step back, apologize, triangulate. And she just has... She has convictions, you know. Yeah, it was it was it was inspiring when she said uh, there was some interview of she's if people asked she feared for her life because she's gotten tons of death threats and she said no because she knows she's doing the right thing and she's just living her life according to her values. Yeah, that is nice. It's also um, it's also worth pointing out that of like the the faces in Americans like quote unquote progressivism, if you want to call it that, she seems to be the one with some of the best like foreign policy analysis. Mm. Um, like that's something that like a left criticism of Bernie Sanders has been that he didn't have necessarily stellar foreign policy. Yeah. Um, AOC is getting a lot of this criticism now, which I think segues into yeah uh, AOC's <laughs> response to this whole thing, which right. was yeah. less than stellar. So AOC I, and it seems like they're friends. Like I mean, AOC will post. I mean, there was a lot. There was like a photo of AOC that went kind of viral of her crying to like a speech Ilhan Omar was giving and mm. about how insp- uh, proud she was of her. So like. Amongst this sort of new crop of of Democrats, I, I do think they um, interact a lot. But 
basically um, AOC's problem was that she admitted or agreed that what that Ilhan Omar should have apologized. She for, conceded for the point. That, she conceded uh, the point exactly yeah, yeah. that APAC uh, influences <laughs> uh, <laughs> or like uses money to influence uh, individual U.S. Congress yeah. people, which she, is just plainly true. She said something very, um, it, on the surface, seems very friendly mm-hmm. and um, kind of like mediating and diplomatic, but like I think concedes the point, it's based on this whole Twitter conversation, but concedes the point that criticism of APAC in Israel is equivalent to anti-Semitism. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think this is kind of leading to the broader discussion of <laughs> anti-Semitism as this like, stick you beat your enemies with yeah well i wanted to say a few things about aoc mm. and Ilhan omar and, and how, how that relates to what what matters about this because it's not just to me at least it's not just um like this palace intrigue i think what's significant about it is first um the way aoc has responded is to sort of keep defending Ilhan omar point out inconsistencies like um after the the resolution against Ilhan omar was uh shot down it, it didn't take they just had this vague like resolution against hate in general yes, yeah, I saw that <laughs> which obviously that. they all voted most of them voted for i think 26 republicans didn't and so aoc would say <laughs> i love hate yeah, <laughs> they love hate <laughs> i mean yeah but like and so i think aoc's whole thing is to point out these inconsistencies or point out like that there's uh this photo from the west virginia gop saying Omar did 9-11 it's like is this is um Islamophobic, like sort of like taking that low hanging fruit. Yeah. But the fact that she still says you can Ilhan Omar like hurt people's feelings and that's what matters, that people felt offended by her comments, mm. no matter whether they're true or not, which is fundamentally not the purpose of a congressperson or someone in power. It's to identify actual sources of suffering and work against them. Yeah. Know? And insofar as um Ilhan Omar is pointing out suffering that the U.S. causes in terms of their relationship with Israel and Palestine and um, just drone bombing uh, the whole world. Mm. Um, Where is that going? Not the whole world. They're not drone bombing <laughs> us. Uh, not, I think what's important uh, that this situation shows is a few things. First, what it shows about uh, AOC is that, or what it shows in general, is that a politician shouldn't be and maybe this feels obvious to say, but I do think it bears repeating that a politician is not a politics, you know, following a politician and agreeing with them is not a political program or Mm. agenda. And it is for a lot of people. And it's a complicated reason why it is. I don't think it's all, I, 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 I think I don't want to be overly critical of it because I do think it's not like everyone should understand, um, you know, uh, an ideology uh, marxism and materialism yeah, yeah, yeah. like um just out of thin air i understand why people latch on to politicians but i think events like this are necessary to show that um the value of aoc isn't in just her and having her beliefs it's her as a tool to enact change and to bring about um his, like political change and and broadly speaking, to um, bring about a, a kind of class struggle in the future. And the thing about AOC is that some policies that she has, such as Medicare for All, um, such as abolishing ICE, which I don't know hasn't been talked about so much lately. Those 
can achieve that end, but mm. they don't necessarily have to achieve that end. I mean, a Medicare for all approach, as we see in Europe, just having universal health care does not end capitalism. Um, it would be good to have it, but it would, it, it's mostly good to have it as a way of um, putting people on a direction um, for... I mean, I think shout out the 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 Trillbillies podcast. If you're listening to this, you should subscribe to their podcast because they're cool. Uh, <laughs> one of them tweeted um, like, fundamentally, AOC's um, policies, while they, they might be um, um, just really terrible to the right wing, it's not fundamentally contradictory to capitalism. No. Whereas Ilhan Omar's comments about the US having an empire and having... Um, being a settler colonial state that allies with other and has uh, allies and has like a client state of Israel as another settler colonial state mm. operating in a similar way, that is fundamentally against the U.S. imperial capitalist project. Um, and it's not that suddenly, you know, you get rid of all of AOC's policies and now you like all of Ilhan Omar's policies. I mean, some people pointed out now how in a recent interview, not recent, a few months ago, but Ilhan Omar was like, yeah, you know, maybe I vote for Elizabeth Warren. I like Kamala Harris. Like, it doesn't mean that yeah, so, yeah, yeah. some socialists are like, yeah, she's canceled. You know, she's not a Bernie supporter. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about her and her comments and like, and using them as a tool to actually disrupt capitalism and mm. empire in the US. And, and AOC can do that to some extent, but only, but it seems like she is setting herself up to work in the system more than people thought when she was first elected. Yeah. I mean, when she was elected, it was inspirational because people thought this was a challenge to the system. She still can be, but her in in particular, and it also shows the social demo, the new social democratic project that, I mean, Demo people who call themselves democratic socialists, the limits to that project as a tool for actually challenging the U.S. power. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that Ilhan Omar has all of the right points and all the right strategies. It's that she is identifying those tension points more directly and more clearly. Yeah. And so defending her does, um, I, I personally think she's, it's brave and inspirational, but it's more so what she's doing um, as a, yeah, as a tool or as a, as an important moment. Hmm. And like to, to, Take a little from the like anarchist perspective of all this and borrow a little from them. Um, get used to the idea that no individual is going to have like a perfect set of politics or policies. Um, that's not something that's going to happen, um, no matter how much you stand for them on Twitter. Um, but this kind of leads us into the greater topic of anti-Semitism being used as this stick largely in bad faith to destroy um, an opposition uh, i think people have talked about to no end the situation in the uk where corbyn is constantly accused of being anti-semitic largely for having um i'm not even sure if corbyn has had particularly anti-israeli comments he's just had more pro-palestinian comments um if you want to look at it that that lens that's a fine line sometimes but then and there has been counselors in the uk who have said things that are very clearly anti-semitic but counselors in the uk are like never vetted and they are always batshit insane <laughs> um like ukip counselors are just some of the most insane people tory counselors come out with some blood and soil nationalism every so often want to talk about doing like trade deals with like countries that don't even exist anymore like siam um <laughs> 
They, they range between like being <laughs> awkwardly talking about Jordan Peterson young and then incredibly fossilized old and talking about like the opium crisis in China or something. <laughs> the but the next and probably more recent one I don't think is being talked about a lot because <laughs> language barriers. Um, France is is like our 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 fucking favorite boy Jupiter Manu <laughs> has talked about Macron has discovered the anti-Semitism beating stick because um, <laughs> imagining he's just like in his head like. So what really happened is he just was like some like uh, aide of his that like, gave him the news like, you know, this like weaponizing anti-Semitism to like beat back the left seems to be working. And then he like that's that's what happened in reality. But in his head, he's like approaching like the sword and he pulls it out like he's uh, oh, yeah. he pulls it out from the stone like he has this I new superpower. <laughs> and he's like, it's it's. Yeah. <laughs> he just imagines himself as Wonder Woman a lot of times. Like, Emmanuel Macron as Wonder Woman. I feel there's a bit there. I can't think of it right now. But um, Emmanuel Macron has discovered this. If anyone doesn't know, his popularity has been falling pretty damn low, um, mostly due to the Yellow Vest, the Gilets Jaunes protests, which have very is a broad umbrella movement and it like depicts France as a whole. So there's some batshit people insane and batshit insane people in that movement is understandable, but their general criticism of Emmanuel Macron is that, um, he's being overly punitive to the working poor in, uh, France and giving a lot of tax breaks to the wealthy and corporations or in a means to attract more wealthy and corporations into France. That's kind of his big deal. This is, very true as a criticism of Emmanuel Macron. He will tell you this is what he's doing in, in so many words. Um, but as... But recently, a Yellow Vest uh, group kind of very very much attacked a French university professor by the name of Alain Finkelkraut, who is a um, professor in France who happens to be Jewish, and he was attacked... Uh, in it was an anti-Semitic attack. I'm going to say that now. We're not we're not here to hand wave this away. He was told to go back to Israel as a man who's never like lived in Israel, um, constantly lived in France his entire life. Um, his personal politics are fairly dodgy, and that's possibly what attracted the attack in the first place. But like, yeah, the attack was not fucking on. But now Macron is like making anti-semitism within france his like pet project uh because he's now realized this is something that he can attack the yellow vests with and anyone doesn't know anti-semitism in france has been a very persistent problem um like rob was talking about vici france <laughs> i'm just i'm just imagining that like uh macron like had never heard of vici france and he's like this thing goes all the way to the top this anti-semitism <laughs> This anti-Semitism. We he have to do something about it. He almost hasn't because there was a huge scandal where he was like celebrating this World War I uh, hero in France who then went on to be like the leader of Vichy France. He's like this Dreyfus affair. Did you ever hear about this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. But like, but I, I mean in more contemporary history ever since like there was like a record number of attacks in 2015, which was only a couple of, like a year and a bit before he took over the presidency and anti-Semitic attacks within France, like um, Jewish businesses being attacked and Jewish people being attacked and 
graves and properties owned by Jewish people being defaced has been like a consistent like thing in France. Not like huge numbers, but you know, more than one of these happening per year is like a concern in itself. But it was like ranging within the couple of hundreds. 2015 was a record break, like a record breaking year. The numbers for 2017 aren't in yet, but if the first three quarters are anything to go by, it's not going to be a good year. Uh, but this is something that he was not talking about for his first couple of years of presidency until this anti-Semitic attack by the Yellow Vest happened, and he's hopped all over it like nothing on fucking earth. <laughs> Can we can we read the quote from from France twenty four that I pulled out? Yes, please do. <laughs> Am I gonna do it? Uh, you should do it. But can to, you do a French accent? <laughs> um, no, but I'm going to. We're going to give this like a little bit of a preface. This is this quote is very emblematic of like how Macron has turned the upswing of anti-Semitic attacks into like um, everything I do and say is good. Yeah, we should point out Macron. What's his approval rating? Like twelve. It's about 20 something percent. He hasn't reached he hasn't reached Holland numbers yet, but he's on track to do so. Holland holds the record for lowest approval rating for any sitting French president. I think at that's honestly impressive. 14% towards the end of his presidency. Yeah. So the exact quote that he had, and this is just an excerpt, is anti-Semitism is a repudiation of the republic in the same way that attacking elected officials or institutions is a repudiation of the republic. <laughs> Now, I know Macron, you know, he's, 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 a, he's a genius brain, so yeah. maybe you don't understand what he's doing here, but it's very subtle. He doesn't say that attacking elected officials is literally anti-Semitism. Mm. He's just saying, uh, in the exactly same the same. sentence, <laughs> there are many attacks on the Republic. For example, the two I will say right next to each other are anti-Semitism. And attacking elected officials or institutions. Or institutions. You cannot attack institutions. Save the institutions. There are anti-institution tropes being used. I've been hearing, I've been listening to punk songs. They have anti, uh, they have tropes about, yeah. about institutions that they're corrupt. You can't call institutions corrupt. That's, that's a trope. The, <laughs> that's an anti-institution trope. That's, a, that's against the Republic. And uh, if one of these things seems to be happening quite a bit by my political opposition, that's just a coincidence, I guess. Um, yeah, this quote was like made um, like a couple of days basically after the Yellow Vests attempted to storm the Bastille. Like, yeah, he knows what he's fucking doing. But yeah, France, a little late to the party. The UK did it first. America just tried it there. But like using anti-Semitism as a stick to attack the left. Um, again, we'll just couch this by saying we're not whitewashing anti-Semitism on the left. It can happen. My my cop out is I just don't understand the anti-Semitism in Europe. Yeah. And, and the anti- because like I'll be on like Twitter and then there's someone like in, I'll, I'll be like deep in some replies just wasting time. Yeah. And there'll be someone talking about like uh, you know, like Zionist communism, and it's like the you know the the left in Europe wants to be like Zionist communism. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And then I'll like click on it, and it's like two followers, you know, like Lil B and John McDonald MP. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I just don't. I need. I need. I don't know. I I will. Uh, we get need someone, a deep dive. Episode we need to deep this. dive into yeah. this. This is not something we can tackle now. Um, rest assured, uh, the right, Emmanuel Macron. The Corbyn critics, and above all, uh, Ilhan Omar's critics, they uh, do not care about actual anti-Semitism. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, yeah, so 
I think that's gonna do do it for us here. That's that's all we have. That's all we have. And all on all seriousness, uh, shout out to Melty Brains for the use of the theme song "New Dawn." It's a classic banger of a hit. They are like a weird jazzy experimental Irish band. Check them out on SoundCloud, Spotify, all that good shit. Melty Brains, get on that. Um, yeah, that's gonna do it for us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, see ya. Peace. <laughs>